1: Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen helping you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. So hopefully you live out your faith. We talked a little bit about that with one of our listeners who texted in overnight last night about how they're getting involved locally because of something they heard here on Faith Radio, on Mornings with Carmen. We had talked with Joe Penton of LifeWise Academy, which they are seeking to... Re-energize the old idea of religion release classes because your kids, if you're going to a public school, do have the right in many states to leave campus for a while. This isn't done in school. This is they get to leave campus to a place to have a religious education as well to learn more about God, which great idea. And if you want to learn more about that, I think it's lifewise.org. Uh, anyway, uh, you do a search for LifeWise Academy. You'll find it quickly, quickly enough. Again, when it comes to showing the love of Christ and letting people know that, you know, Jesus is real, that Jesus is the answer, we can't just tell them Jesus is the answer. I mean, okay, we can, but it's kind of like a math, a math equation, you know. Remember when you were in school, just because you were able to tap out the answer on a calculator and put right that below that, your teacher often would say, wrong. Why? You didn't show your work. Well, I love it when people are showing the work and showing the love of Jesus. Saw this at Premier Christian News. A UK charity dedicated to assisting refugees and asylum seekers is partnering with churches and other community groups to infuse a sense of festive cheer for those away from their homeland. Through December, the foundation, which is uh, called the Sanctuary Foundation, is extending invitations to about 2,000 refugees and asylum seekers in the UK for Christmas parties hosted in their local communities. Dr. Krish Kadaya, who we've had on Faith Radio several times, is founder and director of Sanctuary Foundation. And he told Christian News it's his delight to partner with the churches and communities Basically show the love of Jesus to these people who, again, away from home, they just need to know they are loved. And by the church expressing its love, they're able to point to that greater love that is found in Jesus. All right. um, Last hour, first hour, first segment of last hour, we started talking about our Growing Your Faith verse, which, you know the song, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and we were starting to go through some of those titles about this child that will be born, a king in the line of David, um, and you know, we, we, we he will be David's heir, as verse 7 points out. We talked about the title's wonderful counselor, that he will have the wisdom and prudence within himself to make the right decisions, that he will be mighty God, not just a powerful person, God himself, so he'll be able to do what he thinks is right. He will be that powerful. Now, if God, through Isaiah, stopped with just those two titles, things might have been scary. There are a lot of these rulers, not so much in Israel, but other foreign rulers who oftentimes would claim to be gods. And even if they didn't, again, they were—they felt the abuse of powerful rulers who did things for their own purposes and actually were very meticulous in how they could do it. they They weren't stupid about it, just evil. The next two names, if those first two are a little too scary, actually frame it in a way that speaks hope, especially to those who have felt the weight of overbearing lords and kings. The next is everlasting father. Now, some try to focus on this as an argument against the Trinity and how can a mighty God be father and son at the same time. That's not what Isaiah is getting at here. There's plenty of other scripture to support the idea of the Trinity. Here, Isaiah is speaking of the fatherly nature of this coming king, showing his tenderness. He is fatherly. He is father-like, as Sam Storms points out. It would bring to mind, for example, verse uh, 13 of Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. He would be a tender father. And not just for a little while, it's something he would do eternally, always. It's just who he is. And, you know, when you look at Jesus, he displays that so wonderfully in the Gospels, that tenderness and the care he showed to those he was ministering to, those in need. Okay, finally, we get to the title, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Peace. Now, the Hebrew word there is shalom. (laughs) <laughs> that is a big word, even if it's only a few letters long. We often think of peace as a cessation of conflict. No war. And in a world increasingly torn apart by wars, getting to the point of no bullets flying, oftentimes we'll settle for that. No, no, not this king. He wants to bring more than just a cessation of conflict. Shalom is a bigger concept. It points to restoration an end to enmity things being as they should be relationships in harmony where no one is uncared for all needs are met in short wholeness wholeness those who have felt the burden of a bad king won't feel that with this king okay there's a lot that there's a lot in this that we are still waiting for yes jesus did come he died and rose to pay the penalty for the sins, as Isaiah also predicted later in in uh, his his book. And Jesus currently rules over the church now, but we still await when he this becomes true on earth as it is in heaven with his second coming. But make no mistake, it will be happening. The end of verse 7, the verse after this, I love, because as he's describing what this king will do and... You know, his kingdom will go on forever with justice and righteousness. It ends with, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is zealous for you. He is zealous for redeeming his world. Oh, he will do it. What a great message, a great reminder as we're in the Advent season, as we think about his first coming, longing for his second. Maranatha, may he come, Lord Jesus. Well, this is, again, Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul filling in, and, you know, as we're, as we're approaching the year-end, we hear about more and more of these end-of-year lists, you know, the top pop songs, uh, top TV shows. Oh, guess what is the top song in America right now? Ryan, uh, you're more of a music guy. Well, you're a music guy. What do you think is the top song according to the Billboard Top 100 right now? Isn't it like a Christmas song
2: from
3: the 50s or
2: 60s? Oh,
1: he knew. So yes. so someone here on our Faith Radio Network last
2: week told me this, and he was saying it with pride because he is much older than I am.
1: I'll just leave it at that. And he was saying it. I don't remember the title, but I know it was one from the 50s or 60s. Bonnie Lee's, or Brenda Lee's, "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Yes, that's what he And there's a video online of her responding when she was told that Your song's number one. And she's like, really? 65 years later? Oh, well. Again, end of year list, top TV shows. Google just releasing their list of the top searches for 2023. In the area of news, I get this one. The war in Israel and Gaza was the most searched for topic on Google. As for people, and I quizzed you earlier on this, uh, uh, Ryan, because you are Mr. Sports Guy. And it took you a few moments, but you finally got Damar Hamlin. He had to go to the beginning of the year with what yeah. happened to him. I and mean, that was a big—I remember when all that happened and just the outpouring of love and support for him. Okay, but what about words? There are have been a few top words of the year selected. And that got us thinking because some of these words are interesting. And if we're going to talk about words, we need to talk with somebody who knows words really well. And for that, we bring on our friend Karen Swallow Pryor. She'll join us in about 90 seconds here on Faith Radio. If speech is a bridge from mind to mind for gainful interchange designed, as uh, Amos Russell Wells said, then our words and a clear understanding of them, that's pretty important. Therein lies the interesting conundrum. We live in a time, well, words have always changed meaning, but we have, we're living in a world where words keep getting redefined, new words being created to uh, fit perceived needs and it's confusing. So to help us understand that, I'm glad to have Karen Swallow Pryor on. She's the author of The Evangelical Imagination, How Stories, Images, Metaphors. You didn't put words in there, uh, Karen. Create a culture of crisis. Why didn't you put the word, word in there?
3: There were a lot of words in there. <laughs>
1: well, I, I know that, but I mean in the title, the word, word.
3: Well, a metaphor can be a single word. All words are metaphorical. That's a big premise of the book.
1: Oh, you're 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 blowing your mind already. <laughs> but, already, <laughs> but we're looking at the words of the year because, okay, different dictionaries every year put out their word of the year, and that has actually led to a lot of conversations. I heard one with Russell Moore and and uh, Mike Hosper on their podcast, and they got on, for example, Merriam-Webster. Their word of the year was authentic, and I was surprised that came up again because I think that's been pretty big for a while. But what – now, you being a wordsmith and also a cultural analyst, what did that trigger in your mind?
3: Yeah, I mean I I was surprised as well when I heard that was the word of the year because I thought, oh, how early postmodern. (laughs) Um, Because, uh, you know, because authentic has been a – so, you know, to use the term postmodern, which is, you know – Tricky um and debatable, but that's been a word that's been part of late modern or postmodern culture for 20 or 30 years in the sense of of being true to oneself and um you know and and there's books, lots of books written on that, lots of lots of uh discussion about that sense of authentic. But of course, as soon as I looked at the first news story, I realized okay, this is in the context. In of AI. Um, and that makes total sense because yeah. we see so much fake stuff that um, what is authentic is now rarer and rarer.
1: It is interesting because AI, when you look at a lot of the words, factors heavily into this discussion. For example, um, Cambridge came up with their word was hallucinate. And they're not talking just, you know, somebody Seeing something that isn't there. This is talking about when artificial intelligence hallucinates. In other words, produces false information.
3: Yeah, isn't uh, that? It's so crazy. Now, again, I just said that all words are metaphorical. Um, True. The words that we use commonly, we use so much that we forget that they began as metaphors. And this is a really good example of that because we're so used to the word "hallucinate" being used in the con- context of a mind, a human mind, um, that it's counterintuitive to think of AI as being able to do that, but of course it's meant metaphorically, and in that context, it actually makes sense.
1: Hmm, it does. Now, Oxford had a different word, and it's, okay, it's riz. <laughs> and this is one of those, and, and if, if, if if you find this cringe, which is one of those words, again, <laughs> that, uh kind of urban dictionary stuff making into the broader mm-hmm. parlance. Riz, explain where that comes from and what it means. Well, I had heard of this
3: word um, just before these, you know, news stories of the word of the year came out because my husband is a public high school teacher. So, ah. he, you know, once in a while we'll Introduce me to a new word, um, some you know <laughs> if it's appropriate, <laughs> um, and so this was one that had had come up, and uh, it, it's everyone seems to think that it's whether the kids realize it or not, it's Riz is short for something like charisma. Uh, they might have mean something different than we mean by that, but it's the same idea, kind of having appeal, um, sex appeal, personality. Um, Riz, <laughs> so put on put. Was there a song a long time put on the Riz or something? i I but maybe... no. That's
1: the Ritz putting on the Ritz. That's oh, an old putting old Putting on the old, Ritz. Yeah, that's that's, old, old. that's way back. That's uh, yeah. That's you know, are talking Gary Cooper here. Come on, dressed up like a million dollar trooper. You know, trying to trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. Super duper. Yeah, that that that's. Way, well, it could,
3: it could, yeah, it's way back, but, way you know, it, it reminds me of that word.
1: Yeah, and again, Eve, Eve, those were the words of the year with those three different uh, public, or, you know, websites, uh, Merriam-Webster, Oxford, and Cambridge. There's a few that were under the radar, well, not so much under the radar, but were also heavily used. One that um, I thought was interesting, Merriam-Webster brought about this because they said this was searched a lot, Covenant. Hmm. And- yeah,
3: I Go ahead. Yeah. And
1: you know why it was searched out a lot?
3: I I read an article about it. Yes. And it was searched out not for biblical or marital or fidelity means, but because of the school shooting, it was just a widely searched term. Um, But that, of course, people would find other meanings. But that's what I think they attribute it to.
1: There's that. But I'm also thinking, okay, people, when they heard about the Covenant School shooting down near Nashville, It was like one of those things that jumped out at them. Covenant? Covenant? What's that? And my hope is when they actually saw what the word meant, (laughs) hopefully it would trigger something in their mind and heart.
3: You're very optimistic, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think when you get on Google and you c- type in a word like that, the things that will show up are going to be the ones that are in, you know, are, have the most hits, and it go it would go directly to the news stories about that. But mm. it, but it still is is a beautiful word. It um, is. certainly should get people thinking about why why the school would have been named that.
1: So yeah. okay, I'm being optimistic. My hope, you know, even if a few people. Finally, are you know, see the beauty of that word? Well, again, we're talking with Karen Swallow Pryor here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And as we continue, okay, all these new words, all these other words, and how things are being redefined. What does it say about us in the modern era? And how are we as Christians supposed to? Be mindful of the words we use. We'll talk about that next here on Faith Radio.
0: You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving around the world? I got a hope hat, I got a hope shirt, I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas... Have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on.
1: So have you ever thought of the weight of a word that falls in the heart like the song of a bird that gladdens the springtime of memory and youth and garlands with cedar the banner of truth? That moistens the harvesting spot on, of the brain like dewdrops that fall on the meadow of grain. Or that shrivels the germ and destroys the fruit and lies like a worm at the lifeless root. Ever hear that one, Karen?
3: I have not. Please tell me where that is from.
1: <laughs> Kate Slaughter McKinney. Is
3: she a 19th century American writer? I do I just found this online. I Googled it, I admit. That, that's my guess. It sounds very 18th, 19th century American. It does, so. doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Very 19th century, regardless of country. But I just, oh, I, now I will look her up later.
1: <laughs> well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul, filling in and talking with Karen Swallow-Pryor about our words because of all these lists that came out for words of the year. There's one more I want to pass by you. This was on the runner-up list for Oxford's dictionary, parasocial which means the relationship characterized by the one-sided, unreciprocated sense of intimacy felt by a viewer, fan, or follower of a well-known or prominent figure in which the follower or fan comes to feel falsely that they know the celebrity as a friend. That, that's that
3: a, is a great word.
1: <laughs> it is.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's always been true that, phenomenon since there have been celebrities but it's only intensified when there's so much of a celebrity that can be known and seen through social media um you know constant flow of of personal and seemingly intimate information so um i'm glad that they have a word for that because that's (laughs) really a phenomenon
1: yeah we needed a word for it you know looking at all these words though karen and you being a cultural analyst as well as just a very you know good reader and encouraging us to read, what do these words say about what we're, the time we're living in right now, in your mind?
3: Mm. Well, this is why the news every year of what the word of the year is, is is so interesting and why so many people talk about it. And of course, there are two ways that they generally come up with it. One is the Google searches that we've talked about, which is what word people are looking for. And then other ways, the dictionaries, they can use Google searches, but they're also usually measuring in cultural um, developments and emphases. And so these words of the year do tell us something about what the past year or the preceding years have been and what has consumed our attention and our interest. And that's a great measure. Um, in terms of the way words work themselves, I mean, you mentioned this at the start of our conversation words do change meanings. Um, and people like me uh, who teach English and who tend more toward what's called prescriptivism, which is like following the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, we don't like that. We would rather have the words not change meanings. Um, descriptivist linguists are those who just say, you know, all they're doing is describing the way people use words. And really, I think that the proper approach is somewhere in between: to recognize that there are rules and they make a difference and they help us communicate with each other, but also to realize that language is a tool for human beings given to us by God and they are malleable and they can change, and it's it's really important for us. I mean, we can't just randomly change them. But words reflect what human beings are doing and thinking, uh, and they're trying. They are c- communicating meaning, and so it's really important for us to understand what a person really means when they use a word, whether it's the right word or the best word or not. Um, words are sort of like a a. a they, they point to something that people who use them are pointing to something. And we have to kind of like look beyond the pointing sign to see what it is that they're really talking about. Um, and that's why words are so important and fascinating and fun. And also, you know, that we can mess them up and misunderstand one another with
1: them. Yeah, it's like what you, you got to ask the clarifying questions. It's like when you hear somebody say a protester screaming from the river to the mm-hmm. sea, you know, Palestine will be free. Okay, what do you mean by uh, that? Because absolutely. there's so many who don't don't get the idea. Oh, that's actually can be a call for genocide. And they don't understand that because that's not in their right. mind. They're just Right. You know, yeah. So, again, asking clarifying questions is important. So, I'm going to ask you one more clarifying question because we have just okay. about 5 more minutes here and this is a big one. As Christians, we should be mindful of how we use our words. And I want you to address that, because sometimes I think we can be pretty flippant. I, I'm guilty of it just as much as anybody else. I'll, you know, coin a word or just be silly with my words. But again, what is the the call you feel on us as Christians when it comes to how we use our words?
3: Mm. Well, the Bible says that we will be called to account for every uh, careless word that we use, and that is a... Um, that's that's really scary if you think about it. Our words are really very important. Um, I don't. That doesn't mean we should run around in fear and trembling. But we we should be in a in the practice and habit of using our words carefully, not only in conversation with one another. I mean, face to face conversation is is where it's easier to kind of understand one another even even in difficult moments because we have body language and tone and all of those things and we can follow up. But in the digital age, when it's so easy to post a word or a sentence or a passage or on social media, uh, uh, words that can be untrue, whether intentionally or not, or mean or um, or sarcastic, it's so easy to put those words out there and then they just do the damage that they do before they can be taken back. And Christians should be extremely mindful and cautious about that. And, and not only that, but we have such an opportunity to use our words out there to heal and Mm -hmm. to be kind and to, to entice and invite. Um, Imagine if we took all the opportunities that are out there to encourage and, um, and build up with our words and, uh, of course, we have a lot out there who are doing the opposite um, and gaining a lot from it. Um, but we have so much more to gain by using our words in a, in a loving and truthful way.
1: I tell you, Karen, you have Riz with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Uh, hey, Since we're, this will probably be the last time we talk to you on our show before Christmas, uh, anything big happening for Christmas this year? Any special traditions you and your husband have?
3: Uh, Well, we, my parents live with us, my elderly parents, Mm. and so we've been spending uh, Christmas Eve together, well, through the pandemic, and now that's just sort of opening up, so I'm not sure what we'll do this year, but we always spend um, Christmas dinner uh, in the afternoon um, at our neighbor's home where a lot of people are invited, and we Mm. just have like a big neighborhood family meal and that's become very special to us over the years
1: you don't call it a potluck do you
3: well no because we plan it (laughs) oh okay okay okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) well karen thanks again for joining us here on mornings with carmen it's always great to talk with you
3: great to talk with you and have a blessed christmas
1: too well again helping you apply the mind of christ in the matters of the day so hopefully you live it out as well uh this is mornings with carmen great story out of sioux Falls. Uh, okay, we have Adam Weber on Faith Radio with his show, The Conversation, right? Is that what it's—I'm trying to remember the name of it. Is that right, uh, Adam Weber? That
2: sounds right, but yeah, Okay. Well, am anyway,
1: Adam Weber is the pastor of Embrace Church, and they are doing something like a um, reverse offering, where instead of you put money in the plate, they're giving out money to the congregation to bless their community. Well— this is really cool. There were three kids in that class that uh, three elementary age girls they were given $5 and they said, "Wait a minute. What can we do to help?" And they noticed some of their fellow students at school who weren't able to have dinner because I have lunch because they were in debt to the school for school lunches. Once you get past $75 in debt, uh you you they won't let you eat the school lunch. Well, they decided, "Okay, what can we do? $5 is not enough. But they used that money. They pooled it as a challenge in working with an organization called Project 22. They're growing that. So, so far, last I heard, their collective $15 has generated another $500 to help fellow students. Yeah, uh, great story. I found this at churchleaders.com. And hats off to uh, Embrace Church and these uh, three young ladies seeking to help their a coworker, or rather their students or co-students. Well, again, this is mornings with Carmen, and okay, life can be unfair, and you can have disadvantages. But what if your disadvantage was also your greatest advantage? Hopefully, we'll be talking with uh, Pastor Aaron Burke about that shortly here on Faith Radio. Mm-hmm. Okay, face it, it's unfair. It's not fair that a full-size Snickers is like 220 calories and a stick of salaries, celery that is only about 15. Okay, I don't know if that's really unfair. It's just what it is. But there's other things in life that are unfair. A person who is injured in a car accident because of a drunk driver or because of deceptive practices an investor is built out of their life savings. Yeah, life can be unfair. What's God's answer to the unfairness of our lives? Aaron Burke is joining me right now. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on uh, Faith Radio. Aaron is the pastor of Radiant Church down in Tampa, right, Aaron?
2: Yeah, Radiant Church in Tampa, Florida. Beautiful, but kind of cold today, Tampa,
1: Florida. Okay, okay. So. You're, you're, define cold. I'm in Minnesota. Define cold. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <more>. Okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, there's another thing that's unfair right there.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely.
1: Well, anyway, Aaron is the, as well as being a pastor, he did a ser- sermon series, which, by the way, you may have heard on uh, Chip Ingram's show, Living on the Edge, when uh, you got to be the guest preacher. That was really cool, Aaron.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's been such a cool honor to be able to uh, share this, this story and really a lot of my story, but a lot of the story of the scriptures where, man, we're. People go through really unfair scenarios, and it doesn't make sense at the time, but I say it in the book, you live life forward, but you understand it backwards, (laughs) and when you look backwards, you kind of go, wow, now I get why it had to happen.
1: Yeah, no question. Well, out of your sermon series, you have the book, The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys, from the life of Joseph for transforming any obstacle into an opportunity. And you point out in the book, you know, okay, God is not heartless to our problems. He cares. He cares. But you also talk, and especially looking at Jesus, how he had this two-pronged way of dealing with our disadvantages and our pains and our problems. Tell, tell me about those.
2: Yeah, so when we looked up the Scriptures, we realized that God is able to do two things, or he does two things with all of our problems. He either solves them, which, you know, is a lot of the desires of our prayers. We we pray for the healing in our body, or the restoration of the marriage, or, you know, the the job promotion. We, we, we pray for that. But at the same time, many times we see throughout the scriptures, God doesn't solve it the way we want to solve it. He spins it for a greater purpose. And that's the whole purpose of the book to show you how, if you're submitted to the Lord and if you react in the right way, how God can spin even the most difficult scenarios for a greater good. I've seen people. Go through the exact same tragedy, like a, a loss of a child. Like you couldn't imagine, like a more devastating tragedy. And I've seen people walk through that, and two people can walk through it with two different responses. Mm-hmm. One, you know, is, is is looking at it, going, "Okay, what is God teaching me? What is the purpose? What what is what is the ministry on the other side?" And I've seen some come out of it bitter, and some come out of it better. And I don't believe God causes our pain, but I do think he can use it for a greater good. And that's all I do throughout the book is show you seven unfair seasons that we see in Joseph's life in the Scriptures, but we also see in our own lives of how God can use those for for his purposes.
1: I love how you kept, refra- you kept saying God wastes nothing in the book. Yes. <laughs> God wastes yeah. nothing. And you brought in Joseph, which— This Old Testament story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because I've resonated with so much of it. Uh, Talk about a guy who, okay, he had some advantage, no question, but also some severe disadvantages. You highlight seven of them. I don't think we'll have time to go through all of them, but I want to expand on a few of them. For example, okay, here he is. You call him the discouraged dreamer because a lot of us have dreams that just fall flat and we're kind of in going, God, why? So talk about his right. discouraged dreamer aspect.
2: You know, Joseph is a 17-year-old young man who gets a dream from God. And I, like you said, a lot of us have that moment. We have that moment. There's a dream put in our heart. Maybe it's a business to start or a family we want to have or how we want to see our children raised. And, and we have this dream, and it doesn't happen right away. Not only with Joseph did it not happen right away, but... Uh, the people closest to him rejected him, made fun of him, said that dream will never happen. What do you do when nobody believes in you? What do you do when the dream that you saw is not happening? And the Bible says this amazing phrase. It's so beautiful right in the beginning of Joseph's story. And then it says, and Joseph dreamed again. And that's my challenge is that people young and old would start to dream again. And I give a lot of examples in the in the book of people who even started some of their greatest businesses in the world today started in their 60s, 70s, 80s. People who made their greatest success after massive failure. So I don't I don't know what it is that's failed in your life, but I want you to challenge people to dream again. Actually one of the great marks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2 is that young men and old men mm. would dream dreams and see visions. That's what I'm believing over people's lives that they would get past the discouragement to dream again.
1: Mm. <laughs> That's so good. We're talking with uh, Pastor Aaron Burke, and author of The Unfair Advantage, looking at the life of Joseph. And again, you, you identify seven specific areas where Joseph was disadvantaged, the discouraged dreamer was one of them. The wageless worker. Oh, uh, yeah. That,
2: that can be Yeah, hard. so yes. Joseph— yeah, you've got to think about the story. Joseph gets sold into slavery, um, and then as he gets sold into slavery, he's put in Potiphar's house, and you've got to think he's frustrated. I mean, he had this big dream, and now he's at the low of low. And the Bible says he was promoted at everything he did. And I thought about that going, if it was me, and I was sold into slavery, and I'm getting paid nothing, and they tell me, hey, go mop those floors, I'm going to go, no way. What are you thinking? Who do you think I am? But Joseph knew something that we don't get at times, that Potiphar was not his boss, that Potiphar is not the one that promoted him, that God was his boss, that God was the one he was serving. That's why the scripture said in everything we do, do it all for the glory of God. So what I challenge people to do in this passage is up your work ethic. If nobody's noticing you, nobody's recognizing your hard work, nobody's paying you what you deserve. We've all been there. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you don't take your foot off the gas You apply it even more and go, I'm going to work as unto the Lord. I'm going to bring excellence to my workplace. And I just have this crazy belief that Christians should be the hardest workers. Uh, They should bring the best. They should show up early. They should stay late. They should add the most value to the company. And that's what Joseph did. And he got promoted because of it. So it's unfair that you're not recognized the way you want to be recognized. Do it for the Lord, and he will reward what is done in secret.
1: Now we're going to kind of skip over things because we know in Joseph's story, at least hopefully everybody yes. knows how, okay, he rose and then he fell again, ended up in prison, and it felt like he was forgotten. Here he was yeah. being faithful that you talked, like you talked. He was being so faithful, but he felt forgotten, and that is such a, again— Talk about disadvantage, because you feel—it's it, 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 so disheartening, and yet he he continued on. Talk about that as his challenge, the disadvantage of being the forgotten faithful.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, not to get into too many details in the story, but, you know, Joseph is has this uh, event with Potiphar's wife, and he makes a choice of integrity, and you would have thought, if I was writing Joseph's story— When he makes the decision to be uh, a person of integrity, even when it was most difficult, from that moment, he should have got promoted to second in command. The dream should have come to pass, but he doesn't. He gets thrown into prison, and scholars say that he's in prison for somewhere around 10 years, Mm. a decade of his life. So you can do, and I think this is going to bring some encouragement to people, you can be doing the right thing and not get the right result that you want. And that's what happened with Joseph. And there's a purpose to it. And he's forgotten in prison for a decade. And I was asking God, God, why a decade? Why did you put him in this season that it seemed like it was a waste in this prison? And while he's there, um, I started doing some research of what the Egyptian prison was like. And I realized that the Egyptian prison is not like our prison system. It's not really for punishment. It's actually for um, education. That when you went to Egyptian prison, they realized they had trained you wrong, where you would do something like stealing or killing or doing something terrible. So they put you in a prison, and they would reprogram you to retrain you on what it was like to be an Egyptian um, uh, citizen. So I thought this was so beautiful, and I've got all the stats in in the book about it. And I thought, isn't that just like God, that God takes a man, puts a dream in his heart, but he's hundreds of miles away. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the customs. He brings him there through a path that he would have never chose. He puts him in prison to educate him for a decade. You got to think, Joseph graduated with a doctorate degree, uh, a PhD, and what it meant to be Egyptian after 10 years of being in the prison system, and the best prison system. We know that's where Pharaoh's officials went. So where Joseph thought he was forgotten, God was forging him for the future, and I believe that's a word for somebody's life today. You're like, i am forgotten. Nobody notices me. I'm wasting my time. And my challenge for you is, there's always a purpose in the prison. There's always a reason through that dark season. You know, we, we used to get pictures developed. You remember you had to go to your little drugstore and mm-hmm. have to bring the film in there. And, yeah. and for an ancient time in the past, when we had to do that, <laughs> um, it was always they would take the pictures and they would bring it into a dark room.
1: Mm.
2: And my, my encouragement for people is beautiful pictures are still developed in the dark rooms of life. So I don't know what you're feeling forgotten with, but God hasn't forgotten you. He's developing you, he's connecting you, he's working things out in you before he promotes you to what he has assigned you to do.
1: Well, that's Aaron Burke, again, the author of The Unfair Advantage, and we, as we continue our conversation here in a few minutes, okay, we're going to talk about how God turned all these negatives into the positive for, for uh, Joseph, but also... Okay, we we understand Romans 8, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's available, but it's not automatic. That's what we need to talk about, too, as we continue here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in here on Faith Radio.
0: As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their savior and lord and it changes everything we see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance be baptized and follow Jesus the movement of christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224.
1: So is there purpose in your pain? That's what we're talking about right now. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen. Here on Mornings with Carmen, Aaron Burke is our guest, author of The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. And, okay, we looked at, uh, Aaron, all the bad stuff, all the disadvantages that that Joseph had, and yet God turned them around to an advantage. Kind of give us, I don't know, the happy ending, because it does have a wonderful ending. Uh-huh. It
2: does. You know, Joseph's story is a overnight success that took 13 years. And that's what I want to encourage people with today. Anytime you see anybody that you envy their uh, success, realize that there were lots of steps and pain in the process to get there. And so 13 years after the initial dream, Joseph is made second in command over all of Egypt, actually, which is pretty crazy is The way he becomes second in command is obviously because he, he, he shows Pharaoh the meaning of his dream, but then Pharaoh says, hey, you can't even control all of the kingdom. You just have to set us up for this, for this famine that's coming. So then he went through another seven years of preparing for the famine that was going to come. you got to think that's seven years of trusting God going, I hope this thing actually happens. Um, You know, my (laughs) my whole credibility is on the line. So it was 20 years before he actually figured out that the dream was right and correct. So there's a lot of faith in this whole story of just like, hey, we're going to trust God, and we're going to trust God's timing in the process.
1: Okay, Aaron, I want to land the plane nicely here because – well, because there's an issue that I really want us to to get to. Now, you have an equation in here in your book toward the end called my person – the equation is my personality plus my passion plus my pain equals God's plan. And I want to wrap that into what I was mentioning before about Romans 8.28 – Yes, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, first off, a lot of people try to truncate that saying, all things will work together for good. No, God has to be involved, number one. He's the one who works all things together. But you also bring out the fact, although it is available, it's not automatic.
2: Yeah, Uh, the end of the book is probably one of the most helpful parts that people have told me, because um, I was always... Trained That the way you figure out your purpose is by you look at your personality and you look at your passions like God designed us. Our design reveals our destiny. But I've realized all throughout scripture that it is also our pain reveals our purpose. And, and, you know, I've seen people that have constantly go through uh, miscarriages and, and they just it's incredible pain. And I'm sitting there going, do you see how God's getting that connected It with your purpose? People have dealt with drug addiction and seen freedom and that. It's connected with your purpose. So God will never allow you to go through something if there's not a purpose on the other side of it, whether we see it now or we see it in eternity. My challenge for people is while you're going through it, it's it's not enough just to say, well, God will turn it around for the good. I can do whatever I want. no there is ownership on our side to say what is our attitude in this what what is the way we're looking at this am i totally submitted to god's plan you know and his lordship during this i think i've i've seen people go through tragic scenarios and their response to it not only makes the 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 scenario tragic but then it actually ruined their ability to have a testimony afterwards mm-hmm. like okay the guy left you that's tragic but the way you responded is also equally tragic. And now we can't even use it as a testimony because of how you know, rough it was. So my encouragement for people is it's available for God to use your pain, but it's not automatic. My challenge is submit it to the Lord. Walk in this season without bitterness and resentment. Isn't it interesting in Joseph's story? We get 13 years of his story, real details uh, through chapter 37 through chapter 50 of Genesis. And not one time do we hear about bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration. Like, he really was able to walk with a pure heart in a really toxic season, and you can do the same. So I give a lot of challenges throughout the book of how we protect our heart and how we, how we trust God, even in difficult seasons.
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, and about 10 years ago, I was going through a very difficult season in my life, and I felt my life was just broken. And all I could do at that point was, God, here are the pieces. Do something with it. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. He has. He has. It's been amazing to see the slow redemption of things happening, but he's faithful.
2: He is so He is faithful. So. And I, I just and I need people to know this. Listen, it it might happen on this earth, but it'll definitely happen in heaven, where you'll have a moment and you'll go, Okay, I get it. It makes sense now. And I, I, I don't want to make light of what people are going through, but I do want to say God is good. He is good. When life is bad, God is good. When, when people are mean, God is still good. And if you'll submit your pain and your hardship and even your plan to the Lord, He can use it for a greater purpose than you could have ever imagined.
1: Mm, a promise from Jeremiah again, for I know the plans I it have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. Hey, Aaron, thank you again for joining us. And I, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Any big plans for Christmas in your family?
2: You know, we got five little kids at home, so uh, it's always <laughs> a wild adventure and um, it's always a lot of fun. But I hope the book helps a lot of people. By the way, I if do. you want to go through it with a small group, uh, we have a video small group curriculum that's being released and they can awesome. get it at com next year. And so uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people.
1: I do, too. I do, too. I'm very encouraged by it. Thank you so much, Aaron. Aaron Burke, pastor of Radiant Church in Tampa, where Carmen LeBurg is a—well, re- she spent some time there growing up as a high schooler, so she knows the area well. But, uh, hey, uh, Aaron, again, thanks for joining us here on Faith Radio. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Okay, we want to get you in the Word. That's why— Faith Radio is here, you know, to, through the programs you hear, getting you deeper in the Word. Plus, not just hearing it, but yourself reading it. Now, as you're looking at 2024, and it's going to be a year of, I'm sure, massive strain and stress, you need to be in God's Word more than ever. And with that, we have some great reading plans available to you at MyFaithRadio.com. Reading the Bible in a year, there are various ways you can do that. Uh, I, I actually, one thing I like doing is instead of reading the whole Bible through a year, I've, been, I've done that, but I've also spent times concertedly repeating reading a, ver, uh, a book of the Bible because that's good too, but also getting those overview times, reading through the book in a year, tell you what, great reading programs, there's many ways to do it, you can find some of those at MyFaithRadio.com Well, as we're looking at the Christmas season, do you have a manger scene in your house? <laughs> My wife Jessica and I have like Four or five of them, because we love it. Did you know the manger scene is 800 years old this year? The very first one, the Greccio crib, which I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, Saint Francis of Assisi, the Christmas of 20, or rather, uh, the Christmas of 1223, was when he, uh, he he made the first. One of those, the first nativity scene. And so the 800th anniversary this year, if you're going to the Vatican, they have a whole bunch of them, over 100, almost 150 displays from various countries. One of the ones I have that I really like is when I went to Honduras and I got one there and just has a beautiful little, it's a small one, but it's just gorgeous. But it's great to know 800 years the nativity scene has been <laughs> part of our our. Our, our Christian heritage. So, hey, again, thank you for listening to Faith Radio and Mornings with Carmen. Again, Carmen is off this week. She'll be back on Monday. I'm Paul. See you again tomorrow here on Faith Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support.